Welcome to Dreamers and Unicorns, brought to you by People Strong. Hey Ginny, who do we have today? Well, Abhijit, today your guest is Anuj Kakkar, President and Executive Director of Aptech Limited, and you can talk to him about skill building and learning for vocational careers. Okay, great. Let us start the show. Lifetime employment is a thing of the past. The focus is shifting from employment to employability. An employee has to ensure that his or her skills are constantly updated and polished, but so much has changed in how people build new skills. Why then do employers complain about not finding enough skilled people to fill vacancies? Hi. I am Abhijit Bhaduri. I work with organizations to transform their leadership teams, talent strategy and culture. And in the studio today is Anuj Kakkar who currently heads the individual retail training businesses of Aptech India. Hi Anuj, welcome to Dreamers and Unicorns. Hi Abhijit, it's nice to be here. Tell me a little bit about Aptech. Uh, you know what kind of work do you do? Where are you guys located? What kind of stuff? Tell me about that. Well, Aptech is essentially a training company and it has always been that. We started off way back in 86 in the field of IT, uh, that is training for people for the IT industry. And you know in the field of IT, 80s is as far back as you can possibly go. So from then on we have uh, branched out into training in multiple domains and uh, across multiple countries in 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 IT itself i mean no, i know no, across domains i mean there are domains like animation visual effects hardware networking beauty a host of them wow yeah IT so it's, and been, beauty. it's been quite a journey yeah <laughs> it and beauty seem to be india's favorite exports and areas so <laughs> that's right um these are these the sectors you anticipate that will see um high growth is that the uh, perspective or is it that uh, these sectors will employ a lot of people and that's the area that you are playing in how do you sort of look at that so let me take you back a little bit into 86 when we started with it training as i just told you mm-hmm. then in the 90s we moved into another branch which was uh, multimedia multimedia was a high growth industry at that time and 90s was also the boom period for it training you know with us manpower requiring a huge amount of manpower and india exporting lots so and lots of people so that's the outsourcing that was the outsourcing part of it right right so after these two areas which i'll classify more as happenstance mm-hmm. uh thereafter we set around set for ourselves a few a strategic framework around which we said okay now if we have to get into more areas how should that happen so there are essentially three parameters of course one is whatever we get into should have high growth as a okay. as a domain as an industry and when you say high growth what kind of percentage of growth of the sector uh, over a longer period of time at least 15 to 20% uh, wow. year on year growth so and we have been managed in to be in those areas right second we said is the number of people employed mm-hmm. uh you know for us it doesn't work if it's high growth but the number of people are very small at as a number of people which are needed okay just to give you a sense of perspective every year we train more than 100000 people across the world so it's a pretty large number and when you say across the world how many countries are you looking uh, we have more than 30 countries now okay yeah wow. 
it's one of our best kept secrets mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. that uh, people still view us as uh, being in the IT domain and in India specific, but that's no longer true for, and it hasn't been true for a long time. Um, the third parameter we look at is global scalability. So there is high growth, there is the number of people who are employed in the industry, and there is global scalability. And what we tell ourselves is whatever domain that we need to get into should satisfy at least two of these criteria. And when you say global scalability, it means that the curriculum should be transportable? Exactly, uh, exactly. So the same curriculum or near curriculum should be uh, fungible across countries and across geographies, across cultures. So Anuj, your basic parameter is that um, the the skills that are required in you know sectors like um, you know telecom or uh, IT or aviation, beauty, any of these sectors, all of this the curriculum is the same, so the skill is seems to be moving in a uniform way across the world. Is that absolutely? And it's uh, <clears throat> let's go beyond curriculums for a second. I say the aspirations of the youth, which is the essential thing which we are trying to satisfy beyond a curriculum, and curriculum is a small part of it, are uh, remarkably similar across. And, and just to give you an idea, we're there in countries as diverse as uh, large portions of Africa, Middle East. India, of course, in Southeast Asia, we're pretty well spread out. And largely our footprint has been in the underdeveloped and the developing world. Mm-hmm. So that's been the commonality. And in these kind of areas, uh, these kind of countries, uh, the skills are pre-fungible. I mean, the, what the youth are looking for is uh, very similar. The essential difference could be that different countries are different cycles of the maturity of the particular industry. Okay. And and are your, when you say you're in 30 different countries, are these also uh, economically diverse in the sense that some of them are uh, economically more advanced than the others? Economically very diverse. Uh, let's say we have pretty big in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Vietnam is a very country which is very similar to India in terms of the profile of the youth. Smaller base, but similar high growth rate, 7 to 8% uh, is the growth rate in Vietnam. Uh, moved to Nigeria, another very good country for us uh, in Africa. We do a large uh, business with Nigerian youth. So very different culturally, very different uh, economically. But yeah, from our perspective, it's very good. And what are the factors that are shaping these talent pools? If you were to just, you know, just like you talked about um, that there is a there's a commonality that you see. What are some of the factors that shape talent pools? So uh, when you talk about factors shaping talent pools, let's first talk about what are some of the impediments or what are some of the problems which uh, are facing the growth of the talent pool. And we can look at it from the vantage points of different stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Let's first look at it in terms of a student and the parent. And uh, in India, particularly, parent plays a very important part in uh, deciding what the career of the child is going to be. So one of the problems is lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. Parents and students today still tend to favor very traditional courses, an engineering career or a career in medicine or a law. And But some of the newer age careers are still, people are not aware of the potential of those. Give uh, me an example of some careers in the new age uh, fields, you know. I mean, uh, let's take animation, for example. Mm-hmm. 
in animation, people still tend to view it as, you know, cartoon drawing mm-hmm. and something to be done as a hobby. Mm. Very few people or fewer than what we would desire number of people are aware that there is a huge potential for people to become, uh, develop animation as a career. Right, right. right. And um, so what this leads to is a excessive, what I would call an overemphasis on the importance of a formal degree, a formal university-based degree um, for building a career. So that is from a student's and the parent's perspective. Now, if you look at it from the vantage point of the education system of the country, mm-hmm. let me give you an example. Let's say engineering education. Right. Now, today we have uh, a capacity in India of 16 lakh seats of engineering uh, students. That's capacity. So 1,600,000. 1,600,000 students. Uh, that's a seat. The enrollment is half of that. So 800,000. Why is that so? Uh, It's just excess capacity. There was a time when lots and lots of people built up uh, engineering uh, colleges, but the enrollment ratios is just 49%, less than half. So that's one part of it. And then you look at, it's a well-documented fact that only about 40% of these 800,000 students get employed. Okay. So, so we're talking a big uh, 60% remain unemployed post-engineering. So there is an employability issue or is it employment? How do you... The, there is an employability issue. Hmm. And, and is, when you say employability, is a lot of employability driven by technical skills or is it soft skills? It's soft skills, but I'll come to that. There is also an issue of relevant employment. So that right. is people who are getting employed in areas that they were trained for. So this 40% drops to 20%. Wow. So 80% of Indian engineers are either unemployed or underemployed or wrongly employed. So if I take, um, let's say, an average fees that an engineering student would pay across his four years is uh, 10 lakhs. Mm -hmm. So about a million rupees. So this million rupees... And if you say, what is the average salary that person and out of an engineering graduate average across the spectrum gets is around 240,000 rupees or 260,000 rupees. So 240,000. 260,000 rupees. Okay. So his ROI, just on his fees, it takes him three to four years to recoup only his fees, which is very, very high period. So we have a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about talent pool. So this is one the mismatch between capacity and productivity of the employment is a huge issue as far as engineering is concerned. You know, I like the fact that you talked about many other new opportunities. I mean, animation is one such area or, you know, design and all of these. So does it mean that, is is there one way that, you know, when you were thinking about it, the picture in my mind was that uh, something which used to be a hobby at a point of time when you had just two or three, you know, socially accepted areas that bulk of the people would become either a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer, and then everything else was a hobby. Now, a lot of those hobbies have become, you know, like really attractive career opportunities. Yeah, I wouldn't like to trivialize it as a hobby. Uh, I think there were a significant amount of changes in the environment which are driving this uh, um, change of job profile. In fact, it's predicted that 
almost 40%, and this is a McKinsey report I'm quoting, uh, 40% of the current jobs, which are the, the low-paying jobs, which are currently being paid for, are mm-hmm. going to become obsolete. Because they'll get automated. They'll get automated or replaced in some manner or the other. Yeah. And that's a huge number. So there is a lot of environment factors, which is could be technology driven, could be demand driven, could be uh, driven from a variety of angles, are making this change. So there are newer careers which are emerging and old careers will die down. Okay. And And this is probably not very well uh, understood Mm -hmm. by the... uh, education system at large. Or let's say it's beginning to be understood now. And is is the change happening at the kind of pace uh, that you would expect in the educational sector, uh, which allows us to give up what is not going to be there and, you know, prepare the people for the opportunities that are going to come in? I would really like it to happen much faster than mm-hmm. what it is. I'll give you an example. Today, uh, in India, the UGC, which is the nodal regulating body for the uh, universities, mm-hmm. mandates that a faculty member or teacher needs to have a master's educa- qualification before he can teach a undergraduate class. Makes sense, you know, logical. Right. You have to be one step higher. Now, consider the case where these universities need to teach new age skills. Where there is no experience possible, there's or no, experience, no masters, there, no possible. masters possible, and when the person teaching was doing his masters, these skills were not there. Mm-hmm. These domains they were not there. Right. So these kind of uh, obsolescence, if I might call it, in the regulatory system does exist. Uh, having said that, uh, there is a lot of work and a lot of uh, thought being put in by the education system on how to correct this. Um, the government of India has come up with something called NSQF, which is the National Skills Qualification Framework. Mm-hmm. And they are trying to popularize mm-hmm. a separate graduation programs under the name of BWOC, a Bachelor in Vocational Studies, uh, which trying to uh, correct some of these anomalies. But as it is too little, I wouldn't say too late, but yeah, not as fast as we would like to be. And that's probably true of um, much of regulation, if you sort of think about it, that uh, a lot of it is uh, not keeping pace with the changes that are happening, because it takes time to understand all possibilities, form a law, get it approved, put that into practice and get people to accept. You know, there is a very long delay. So it is there. But the reality of life is we have to figure out a different way of creating these frameworks because um, a lot of changes are happening really fast. So it's my personal opinion that uh, we really have to underemphasize or get away from the emphasis that we, the parents and the education system places on a formal degree program, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the areas of skills and the future age careers. Okay, uh, just to give you a background, there we have a nodal body called NSDC, which is the National Skills Development Council, right. and uh, they have carried the mandate of... Uh, trying to develop new age careers or careers across a variety of domains. So NSDC under its domain has about 38 what they call sector skill councils. Each sector skill council focuses on one particular domain area and the mandate for each sector skill council is to build up the skilling ecosystem for that domain Mm-hmm. So they conduct what they call a skill gap analysis. Right. How many people are there? How many people are required? And then they set what is called uh, qualification packs or job roles. 
So they identify, okay, in this particular area, so many people are going to be required for this particular job role. So it's a demand planning of sorts. It's a demand identification of sorts Hmm. and then a supply planning. Okay, okay. Now, when, you know, we were talking about these uh, soft skills. When I look at, uh, you know, various reports that are there, whether it's the LinkedIn reports or when you think about, uh, I just recently read the Upwork report on gig economy and everyone universally talks about the importance of soft skills, you know, the ability to um, formulate a point of view, the ability to articulate it in a uh, way, in the ability to get along with people and, you know, collaborate and work, many of these. How do you build this? And absolutely, that's clearly one of the uh, big challenges that uh, the education system and in particular those people de- like us dealing with the skilling environment hmm. have to contend with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fact that most of the, uh, a large percentage of the candidates or students who are there are not properly trained in soft skills or in human skills or in emotional skills uh, to be able to land the best job possible. So that's one area where not only nationally we have to put a perspective to and really put a focus to. But for example, as a company, I can talk about that we have been trying to put this into focus. Mm -hmm. For example, each one of these 100,000 students that we I talked about go through what a, a language program, a language improvement program, a personality improvement program. We have developed a large platform through which we do this and we have language labs in each one of these uh, institutions whose then they empower these students to uh, hone their communication skills, personality skills. But that's only one end of the, one piece of the puzzle. Um, we look at how to build teamwork because at the end of the day, when they're going to land themselves into a job environment, they're going to be working in teams. So large emphasis is placed on project works. We have various events of various sorts where we bring students from various geographies together across India and they compete with each other or collaborate with each other in different formats to be able to develop these skills. Mm. So technical skills are important, of course, but much more important than that or more important than that is how do we enhance the the communication, the personality skills. That is as far as current is concerned. All right. Before we continue, I want to mention here my collaborators, People Strong. They have created really scalable products which are currently being used by enterprises across Asia. And you know what is the best thing? The best thing is the speed of transformation. Even the largest of enterprises have been able to experience the SaaS way of working in merely six to nine weeks. Yes, that's right. Six to nine weeks, which was unheard of in the enterprise tech world. To know more, go to peoplestrong.com. So one of the uh, hypotheses I have, and I would love to know what you think about it, is maybe one of the hypotheses I would love to check is we are probably now in a space where hard skills, you know, for example, knowing math or engineering or whatever be your chosen field, accounting, all of that uh, should be self, uh, you know, people can pick it up from the YouTubes of the world, or there are many other places, the massive open online courses or MOOCs, where people can actually pick up these skills um, and get trained. But you really need to work with other people to pick up the soft skills, because the human skills can, is very hard to teach them, you know, without really engaging with other people. So there are courses and, you know, there are VR-driven courses, virtual reality-driven courses, or, um, you know, but it's never as effective as 
actually engaging with a person because then that's what brings in the soft skills, um, the unpredictability of how humans react. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you on the second part that uh, the, the human skills or the emotional skills, uh, the adaptability, resilience, curiosity, creativity, all those kind of skills are absolutely very difficult to teach. Hmm. Not only if they're difficult to teach, they're equally difficult to assess. Hmm. So on that, we have absolutely no uh, difference. Perhaps what I will try to nuance the uh, first part of what you said, that uh, many of the technical skills are easily uh, uh, learnable or right. through uh, the net. Right. So a nuanced answer that I would like to give for that is the content perspective. Right, right. That part has become commoditized. Mm. So today content is freely and easily available across various net platforms. But the le entire learning ecosystem uh, really want, we, we have to put much more emphasis and we can't really assume that the people uh, will learn through that. Particularly from our perspective, we, where we tend to concentrate more on first-time job seekers. The first-time job seekers need a lot of blended approach. Uh, we were one of the first companies really to get into e-learning space. Perhaps we were ahead of our time. And uh, it didn't work very well for us. The dropout rates were extremely high. And So uh, why do organizations continue to use e-learning methodologies uh, if it is not effective? No, I'm not saying it's not effective. Uh, there is a certain segment for which it is effective if you're talking about working professionals and people with high self-motivation to get into a particular skill area mm. or in the relearning or the reskilling space, it is effective and people are doing that. Then there are, uh, how should I say this, uh, certain bellwether companies, let's take a Khan's Academy or a Baijus or similar, uh, who have become high profile in this area. Mm -hmm. And they, of course, they are in the virtuous investment phase of their uh, businesses. Okay. So the profits are still some distance away for them. Okay. And uh, so they are kind of driving this uh, perception that this is a great area. Uh, it is. From a longer term perspective, it is. But what I would like to put my bets on is more in terms of a blended approach, where uh, if I were to try and explain it through a, a two-by-two metrics, if I were to put value of uh, the education or training on one axis and put the cost on the other axis. So at the right at the bottom, where I'm putting relatively low value uh, and very little cost is what I call e-learning right, space. Right. And right at the top, uh, on the other uh, diagonally opposite uh, quadrant, I would put high value and relatively high cost where you know, you're kind of assured of a job or you uh, your skill is good enough to get you a job on day one. So there is a huge space in the middle, which I like to call assisted learning. So where there would be a technology component, which will uh, enable the delivery of the technology to happen, but there would be a facilitator or a, a mentor or a, a teacher at the physical location where mm -hmm. uh, learning would happen. And this, to my mind, is the direction forward at least in the next five years. And so you, what you are really saying is that if there is a there is a learner who's self-motivated, uh, then, you know, the person can go on and explore and learn many different things. So at some level, you're um, raising the importance of being a curious learner, that I want to know more, I want to try out more. Then I think when you look at learning in an organizational context as well, it is that uh, somebody 
can actually get the person to uh, understand the context in which to apply thinking. And is there, therefore, is it possible to say that there is a this is a time when you can use technology in a dramatically different way to change how people learn? Absolutely, know? absolutely. What are those technologies? Okay, I'll give you an example from our own setup. Uh, see, as I mentioned to you, one of the domains that we teach people in is in animation and visual effects. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, for when, not long back, we used to have physical books. Then we went into, of course, physical books went off and we went into plain uh, digital books. But they were re really essentially PDF versions of uh, books, mm -hmm. which the people used to read on the screen. But now that is history for us. So what we have, all our books are in augmented reality. So when a student is learning, he's, he's got an app uh, on his phone, which he points to his uh, screen and the concerned character or dimension or whatever is being taught comes to life and he plays around it, it swings it around uh, on his app and is able to enhance his learning of that particular uh, area much uh, much more effectively. And for this, the person doesn't need to be in uh, a specific classroom or this is something they can do at home? At home as well, absolutely. Okay. He can be anywhere uh, on earth. So, uh, so what you are saying is technology is enabling learning to become location independent. Location independent, much more effective. And it's also uh, a, a breeds a culture of innovation. You know, mm -hmm. you talked about curiosity. Right. What curiosity essentially is what else can happen. So if the education system starts, also starts becoming curious in, in some way and says, what else can I do with this technology to improve the learning? I think we'll go places. And and I think that's where, you know, using, um, if you had teachers who were skilled in creating content like that, which is so innovative and uh, interesting, almost like a, a, a very action-packed movie kind of a thing, because that's what people are getting used to outside of the learning environment. Precisely, you know? precisely. And there are methods to uh, build a whole talent pool among the teachers. These skills of teaching using technology is an area by itself. So uh, do you also run these courses for teachers? Yes, uh, not, not, uh, we run it only for our teachers. We don't do it as a, uh, as a business. But maybe that's a business that you should get into, Possibly, that you yes. don't teach we, we animation stuff it for come, teachers. It'll, it'll, probably it'll come down the line, yes. And if that happens, you know where that idea <laughs> came from. <laughs> so we need to share the revenue the, on the, that. The, the, absolutely. Um, how will careers evolve, uh, uh, you know, differently? And I, I want you to just... Uh, think about the predictions uh, that you would like to make for changes in talent, you know, in the job markets and careers and skills. See, the past, unfortunately, is no longer a guide to our future. It's no longer even a temporary guide. Right. We really have to reimagine from mm. ground up mm. what is likely to happen. And it's a difficult task. There are very good people who are prognosticating as to what is the direction of education. You could rely on them. There are uh, good career counselors which are there uh, and you could uh, reach out to them. But I'll say, still say, it's still a very nascent area and it's not an easy thing for a today's student to make these calls. I recognize the difficulty that they are facing. They still tend to go back to convincing their parents, even if they want to do it and they are convinced, it's still a task convincing the parents that it's a good choice. And so, yeah, we will evolve uh, in this area. But coming back to uh, your first question as to what are the kind of changes which are likely to happen. See, 
industry 4.0 the real change in so what is industry 4.0 just you know if you were to just summarize well, really it's talking about how the new age skills are really going to define redefine what is the job opportunities of the future mm. and we had the industrial revolution which changed put agriculture onto the background and the industrial jobs came to the forefront right. and we had the information revolution right. where or the digital revolution where we kind of uh, all the jobs went digital so industry 4.2 is trying to reimagine or redefine how the newer age skills are going to play out into the future okay. and how they are going to uh, redefine the job uh, market and therefore what kind of skills are needed to fulfill it you take the case of artificial intelligence uh, artificial intelligence by itself as a technology will play a, a huge role in redefining what kind of jobs can be automated what kind of jobs will remain what kind of jobs will go out of the market yeah those changes will happen maybe it's time to think about the time when you know we were we used to have career 1.0 which was that uh, people worked for one employer for the rest of their life because the organizations used to uh, have a great degree of life now what has happened is organizations lifespan has reduced and human lifespan has increased so people will need to move to that so career 2.0 in my view was when people would actually um, you know not only pursue what they were credentialed for uh, you know so let's say you were credentialed to be a doctor and you also you know have a thriving role as a musician so you sort of start doing it initially for fun and then it becomes your profession um, and then now i think is the age of career 3.0 where you have some skills some credentials and you use all of them to work for multiple things in the same day maybe in the same day you know you work on different skills and which get monetized at different levels so all the aspects the skill the employer the time the payment method everything is variable so that combination is career 3.0 you're bang on absolutely bang on and i couldn't have said it better but a more um, i the way i say the same thing is really earlier there were jobs now there are stints uh, and i don't say this negatively i say this positively you know by stints i mean exactly what you're saying that the average duration of the skill that you have today is reduced right so you are necessarily forced into a situation where uh you could do what i it's my uh, term which i call as burst learning hmm. so you learn a certain amount of skills you try and monetize that get a job or uh, find other methods of monetizing those skills and there will come a time very soon when those skills by itself either will become commoditized or they will be uh, no longer relevant so you will again have to go into a quick burst learning and learn some new skills to be able to stay keep yourself relevant i mean 30 years back the uh, engineering uh, graduate was employable for his life true But today's engineering graduate is not employable for his life oh absolutely the half life of skills is like some 2 or 3 years yeah, now yeah. yeah so it's scary how how much you have to invest in continuous learning today a lot of researchers are talking about the 100 year life a lot of countries you know you're getting very close to 100 and in that lifespan you know imagine if you start working at uh, uh, 20 or 22 or 25 you need to work for 50 odd years i mean never before in human history have people had to work for five decades and in a place where companies are you know having short lives and skills are becoming you know even more commoditized so 
we are certainly seeing a very interesting phase and yeah and the other thing which we said talked about a while earlier was you know think of the education system what does it want to te- teach people today it's a it's a question they are asking themselves what are we training people for so which brings us to the point we discussed a while earlier there are certain difficult to teach but nevertheless important skills which is what the education system should be concentrating on we talked about curiosity creativity adaptability resilience the emotional skills the human skills if the education system is or the skilling system is able to build these in into mm. its uh, framework i think they will be helping the students in the longer term perspectives over and above whatever of course the core employability skills that they are teaching another important factor is the building up of credentials imagine teaching this is difficult mm-hmm. how do you assess and what kind of a credential system that you build around these skills mm-hmm. how does a potential employer know that this guy has, has a high, higher EQ or a higher curiosity yeah, level absolutely. and what kind of a system that we can build if it's going to become so important to employability there ought to be a method I mean, the gig economy has tried to work its way around this. I mean, we have the rating system. Let's say you give a five star to an Uber driver or uh, a four star to something else. So through a collective process, there is some kind of credential building. But that's easy to do for a blue collar job, which you know, where there's a pattern you can compare. Yeah. When it comes to white collar jobs, there isn't one common standard. I mean, for example, if you say, "I want a great manager, people manager." what is the definition of that one great people manager so that's very hard to put that yeah it I, i wouldn't like to go and say that i have a solution to that but uh, yeah pe- there are enough and more people working towards those kind of questions there's a lot of thoughts going into it and i'm sure some system will evolve which will address this because it's very important thank you thank you very much anuj for joining us today and sharing terrific ideas i look forward to many more such conversations thank you it was a pleasure being here lovely i love talking to you always thank you so much Arash. thank you thank you thank you for listening to this episode of dreamers and unicorns by people strong season 1 of the new code of work series and if you like the show or have any feedback for us please rate and review us on apple podcasts I'm Abhijit Bhaduri and you can find me at Abhijit Bhaduri on LinkedIn as well as Twitter. This show is brought to you by People Strong, Asia's leading work and HR tech company. For more information, visit their website at newcodeofwork.com. Dreamers and Unicorns is a Made in India production. Editorial producers: May Thomas and Sean Phantom. Producer: Sharanya Subramanian. Assistant producer Janam Devan. Sound design and edited by Kartik Kulkarni.